Last time on The Lion and His Mane. What else is Bluff known for? STDs. Hello, Sheila, coming in for a milking. And I immediately thought, quote my mind on this, I ain't dealing with no poo ear coming at me. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to ramble! Hey, yo, forget about it. Welcome back. Hey, thank you so much if you went and found uh, this is episode five of Slain and Leo, uh, Leo the Lion and Slain the Main. And we're, and we're back. Basically, thank you so much for clicking on it, realizing that we're here and that you came back. If you haven't seen the other episodes, we got one, two, three and four. They're all waiting there. I'm Leo, by the way, if you didn't know. And of course, I got I got my co-host over here, Slain. Hello. <laughs> this is a this is a, a, a podcast. I've, I've heard about these. You know, it's, it's it's kind of like a, a a conversation that can be heard again and again. Yeah, yeah, it's totally, uh, it's a lot of talking and then they record it and then you can listen to it again later on. Yes, uh, but doing this, uh, there is no trips to the shitting log. Uh, no, there, no, nothing like yeah, that. No, no, forget about that stuff. One of the things that we try to do is we try to have a bit of a yawn. Now, I'm saying this to you, but we're fifth episode and like you know this. We have a bit of a yarn. We talk some smack about some guys. We, we talk smack about each other. You've seen a podcast before. It, it, it ain't no too different. Listening like, uh, to uh, our podcast is a lot like crawling through a complex tunnel system beneath lavatories. I mean, it ain't illegal to do that, but it's not great, Orn. <laughs> they, they told me it was uh, frowned upon. Now, if you're listening in last week, uh, we were we were talking about why Slane has got himself into into radio and, and where, where did he come from? He was basically a little buff oyster. If you're interested in that and this weird-ass accent he's doing, you can go back and listen to our last episode. It's right there. It's easy. Click on it. Same way you clicked on this one, but listen to this one first because, I mean, we're doing real good accents. I mean, that's pretty good reason, right? Episode four is, is about me. Uh, episode five is about uh, my uh, Italian uh, friend over oh, here. Oh, I, I ain't no Italian. <laughs> oh, don't worry about it. All right. Well, that's oh, enough. I was just going to take this uh, voice translator off my face. And anyway, okay, there we go. Put that down. So, yeah, kill the guys. Thanks for coming in. That was my impression of Tony Lip. <laughs> That's pretty man. good. You do a bloody good New Yorker, hey, man. Hey, yo, hey, forget about it. You, guy in this shirt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank I'm, you, brother. I'm walking here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're going for uh, the Norseman, the yeah. Norseman Orn. <laughs> Quite honestly, I feel like I do a better after a couple of uh, things of mead. Oh, it's always way more fun. Bit of, uh, bit of mead, bit of fermented. What is mead? Fermented? No, it's honeyed wine. Is it what it is? Honey wine, yeah. Oh, I just thought it was another word for beer. Like fermented honey into alcoholic wine type of thing. Yeah, pretty I had sure. No idea. I like it because I like Viking things. Yes, um, I do too. You know, I've always thought about Viking things and, you know, the difference between Odin and Jesus, right? Jesus promises a lot of things. Odin promised no frost giants. Do you see any frost giants? That's a very good point. There are no frost Odin giants. delivered. Yeah. It's like St. Um, Patrick. He scared the snakes out and people were like, they were never snakes. And they're like, hey, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally did. Give the bear to me. I don't so, think you're understanding. They were never snakes. Yeah, well, I scared them off. So anyway, pints on me. Well, pints on you. I'm the one who did that. Yeah, last episode was about you. So this episode we're going to get into. Okay, first question. Me. Almost a sense of the day type thing. What is something you've noticed today? I don't think I've noticed anything. Okay. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, it's been a real slow day. I do a lot of busing into works. So I had that weird moment at the bus stop where I put my mask on, waiting for the bus to come. But no one else around me was wearing masks. And so I was thinking, have I not been paying attention to the levels changing? Like, is level two in Auckland? Currently, it's level two in Auckland for lockdown, uh, coronavirus stuff. If you're ever listening to this way into the future. Because we nailed it. We got rid of it, guys. 
Trump that is. And uh, but <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, am I supposed to be wearing a, a mask? Do I get on the front of the bus? Do I get on the back of the bus? Uh, yeah, I don't know what was going on. But yeah, then right as the bus turned up, everyone ninjaed up, and I was like, okay, good. It's not just me. It's feeling silly. Guys, it's like the Superman transition. Yeah. You know, it's the, oh, 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 that's a COVID mask down there. And I'd, here I'd spent all day getting my outfit just perfect for my mask. Oh, well. Well, I do, I do <laughs> appreciate mean. a fake denim shirt. <laughs> is it, yeah, I think it is fake. It's, it's phenom, fake denim. Phenom. Phenom. Anyway, Leo, how did you come to this point, brother? Give us a run. How did I get to this history. point? Well, back in the beginning, <laughs> in times ages past. Uh, so I grew up in Tamaki Makoto here in Auckland. My life is a mishmash of stuff. Like Yours is a bit of a mishmash. You did a few different things. You went from welding to accounting to construction, which is a bit of a hip and a skip and a hop, which is no doubt because you spent too long in Australia and there's a lot of hippy, skippy, hoppy things. As they say, stay in your lane. And I didn't. <laughs> stay in your lane, slain. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I've got a bit of a mishmash too. So I, I grew up here in, in central Auckland, but I also I went to Kohangareo at a very young age. So I was learning Māori as a second language very, very, very young. And then the rest of my schooling has always been in bilingual. So it's always been a bit different for me than the majority of people out there, especially living in central Auckland. It was, it's not normally where people go and learn Māori and stuff. Māori dum is just very creative. You do a lot of kapahaka and singing as a group. And don't know. forget the stick things that are hard to oh, throw yeah, and that, catch. Oh, yeah, the titi as yep. well. Yeah. Yep. So there's so many kind of creative aspects to Māori dum that you naturally fall into these creative realms, I think, you know where you either want to dance or sing or do these things and you're comfortable doing it as you've grown up doing it. And I, I leant into acting at a very young age. I, I loved it. I think we had a TV and I was a real little kid and somebody said, not a fake little kid, a real little kid. Um, not like but, Pinocchio then? No, not a Pinocchio. No, I'm, not, a, I'm a real boy. Not a freaking toy. <laughs> Quiet you, but Uncle Geppetto. I watched these people on TV and it just kind of dawned on me. You know, as a kid, you'd be jumping up and down on the trampoline and you're playing pretend, right? And yet you're making up characters and yet, you know, you're a power ranger or whatever. Uh, and then I'm watching the TV and I'm, it kind of dawned on me that these people are actors. They're not really doing this. They're pretending like I do. And it's fantastic. I get to watch it on TV. But now they're getting paid to do it. They do this for a living. And I was immediately, I'm doing drama classes. I'm like, you know, learning different techniques. So I'm just getting out there and, and pretending, basically. Living truthfully under the imaginary circumstance. And I did that for a very long time. And still kind of do it here and there. But like I would have said in the last episode... It's a very fickle industry. And at some point as you're growing up, especially when you start really young, in your head you're like, it's going to be acting. That's it. There's no, there's no other thing. It's going to be acting. And then at some point the real world just kicks you around enough that you go, okay, 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 I'll, I'll make up a plan B, <laughs> whatever that will be. And so in that meantime, I had jumped around multiple different jobs. And it would have been anything to do with my ability to talk to people. So it would be sales or tech or you know, tech support or being on phones or being in people's view and selling them things, you know, stuff like that. And I don't really have a great passion for those jobs, especially sales is trying to drive somebody to buy something they probably don't want to buy. While we're being told in our ear that they do want to buy it, they just don't know it yet, as if us selling to them is now being sold to us. You know, and I, I just kind of, that whole thing used to get to me. Like, if somebody wanted something, I would help them make the most informed decision. That's how I felt good as a salesman. You now know that you want this because I've given you the information around it. But at no time am I trying to push you into it and say, yeah, come on, that's great. You know, like, I still want you to be like, man, this is fantastic. I want this now. And if you don't want it, sweet. On your bike, like, have a lovely day. 
tech support was another one where people just kind of yell at you the whole time while you're trying to fix their stuff. And, and that is a world in itself. Like you could write a whole sitcom of sitting on the phones and answering tech support for modems. You mean it's, similar to like the office type thing? Yeah, except just, just people talking to other people on phones. Oh, and <laughs> Leo, it's uh, frowned upon to crawl under people's desks. Yeah, Can uh, you stop that, please? Hello, uh, if you could uh, please be going down to near your modem and there is going to be a little plug um, sitting at the back. Can you see it? No. What? what it is right there. There are a few. I just wanted the one. <laughs> I don't see it. What? I mean, are you looking at your modem? No. Well, well this is going to <laughs> obviously make this very difficult um, if you're not even looking at the modem. <laughs> but it is amazing. Like it's a, it's a bizarre little world. And to be honest, these jobs I was doing, people just look down on you. I mean, people in your own industry, that you hear the stuff about, we're a big family and we... But they look down on you. So I was kind of following these creative paths on the side of having to do crap work for you know rent money well that's <laughs> the thing isn't it a lot of people as, as you pointed out previously a huge percentage of like actors and stuff they do that on the side but they have to have the bread and butter they have to yeah yeah, yeah because it's and the worst thing is that those two worlds clash all the time like barely are there any auditions on the weekend and so you're constantly trying to say hey boss can i take half an hour off to go to an audition and they go come on mate you're taking half an hour off of this job to go to it and try and get another job. Yeah. That's how they see it. And they try and be supportive, but there's a like, oh, you kind of did that last week. And you're like, that's kind of how this works, you know. And, and to be honest, sometimes you'll, there'll be a job that'll go up, you know, 15K or something like that. That's how much it's going to pay for a two-day shoot of an ad. See, that, that's... And you say, I want to go to that. I reckon I'm going to get it. I reckon I've got a real good shot at this. And, and your boss goes, nah. And you just go, well, I might just quit. Yeah. <laughs> like, it might be I'm just quitting now because I care more about that than I do about this job. You know right how now. long it takes me to make 15K answering phones and instructing people where in the house their motor might be? Oh, God. And crawling around under the desk. Thinking about it. That's oh, it's awful. So I was kind of doing that. I was doing the bread and butter jobs, a little bit of creative stuff on the side. And then at one point, I had the opportunity to, be a, to audition to be a presenter for a, a shopping channel. This was kind of uniquely weird for me. In fact, when I got the call about it, you know, do you want to come in and audition for this? I freaked out, I got really nervous on the phone call because it's not something that I do. Like acting and presenting aren't the same thing. And as much as you see actors who are presenters or presenters who then go and do acting, they don't actually live in the same realms unless you are pretending to be a presenter. <laughs> unless you're playing a famous presenter in a movie, then you're an actor being a presenter. But the, there's a huge difference. You do not look in a camera as an actor unless you're on The Office or you're on Saved by the Bell and you're the main character. So you'd say <laughs> you, that would be a substantial difference between those two roles is the fourth wall and the breaking off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And there's, obviously and a presenter does not have a fourth wall because they are talking directly to the audience, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You're talking like we are talking on, when we talk on the radio, you're talking to that person. That's right. You know, you're out there talking to, yeah, to people okay. you can't see. It's far more intimate, as they call it. And yeah, the intimacy in means talking to like a single person well, no, almost, I, isn't it? I mean, I would actually say that acting is more intimate because what they're watching is they're getting a little secret window into your, uh, you with your walls down. Ah. You know what I mean? Well, yes. if somebody's talking to you, they have they have up their wall and they kind of, they're, they, they're presenting something to you. 
Ah, that's uh, a that good they way want of you it. to see. But mm. in acting, those walls aren't there, and you're secretly watching them go through awful things or really happy things, or you know, vice versa. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a tricky one. Anyway, so I was I was just freaked out. But I believe that if you're offered opportunities in life, you just say yes and then deal with all your Be anxieties yes man. about it. Yeah. Be a yes man. And then deal with all your anxieties about it. While afterwards. you're talking about this initial audition, Leo and I have shared the occasional beer before, and some good stories come out on these beers. Now, <laughs> the glue thing. That was the first product you had to smooth, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So I go I go to the audition for this, and it's just a meeting. So I meet the, the head director, you know, the head of production, and another guy, and we're sitting there having, having a little chat about how things work. And, of course, I'm like, I don't know how things work. I'm an actor. As you've probably noticed, I've got a skill for just talking all the bloody time. And that's kind of what a presenter Have you really? Really? Oh, I'm shocked. Yeah, you're just trying to get a word in edgewise. But it's my episode this time. I have to think and strategically... <laughs> like, it's like sparing a fish talking to you. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah. to get the spear ready. Well, bam! Find your moment. Put your comment in. Yeah. yeah. Hope, hope I don't ignore it. Hope the fish doesn't um, move. Yeah, so I went in and we had a chat and they said, you had to sell a cell phone to somebody a smartphone to uh, this type of demographic, an older gentleman, how would you do it? And I said, well, you know, your, your selling points would be around not having to be at your computer to read your emails. You can be out mowing the lawn and then check your phone and you're, and you're on top of business while you're doing chores and things like that. And I, got, you know, I came up with all these things on the spot and they're like, it's pretty good. What we'll do though is we'll have a, a screen test for you. Now, you've got to bear in mind, I had quite long hair at the time and a big beard. Like now? Well, yeah, well, it's very similar to now, actually, but uh, probably a bigger beard at the time. They had said, by the way, if you do get this job, I hope you realise that you'll have to lose the beard. And I said, well, I tell you what, I'm not going to lose the beard until I get the job. It's so a it was good like answer, a, bro. It was, a, it was a, what I call a, a chin lucky dip. You know, like, at the end of the day, <laughs> you guys are going to find out what my chin looks like under this. <laughs> and hey... I've already signed this contract. You've got to pay me and we're going to start doing work. Who knows? Maybe I've got a regular chin. Maybe I've got a bum chin. Yeah, it might just slide off from my bottom lip and like you think that it's my chin and realize it's my Adam's apple. You know, like, <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. There's just a beard there. It could be all padding. So anyway, I come in for a screen test. Now, admittedly, I don't know what a screen test is. <laughs> and this is probably really bad for people out there going, I thought you were a professional. Like In acting terms, I thought, you know, you go to an audition. I act as a professional. Yeah, or you go to an I'm audition, an you've got like a, a, a script or you've learned a script and, and you come in or you've got some form of direction, you know what you're doing. Uh, they just said come in for a screen test. So I said, okay, I guess a screen test is to see how, how well I look on camera. You know, just put him in front of the camera and we'll point a camera at him and look at him and see if he's uh, photogenic or not, which I'm not. Uh, and well, I that was makes like, two of us. And so I'm like, okay, well, two enough. You know, it's cool to go into the studios and stuff like that and... and, and talk to these people and see how we go still nervous as hell and i get there and they go okay there's the stage there's the camera operator there's the camera it's all set and ready to go we're standing across this kind of long studio just near the entrance door kind of area with these guys and they go all right so what have you prepared to sell us today and i went what what do you i didn't i thought i thought it was a screen test and they're like yeah so you're going to get up there and sell us something for five minutes Five minutes, oh my God, that's a huge amount of time. That is 300 seconds to fill. It is a lot. And when you're just standing there talking, uh, <laughs> it's very difficult. And it's even longer than you can imagine. And they said, well, you can sell a cell phone. I suppose you did that before. And I, at the time, I worked at Vodafone. So I was like, I don't want to talk about cell phones. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> bored of that crap. I don't want to do it. So I, I looked at the table behind me and there was an aerosol can. And I'm thinking, oh, there's some spray paint type stuff. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll just sell this. So I grabbed the aerosol can and... There's also this thing in the acting world that if you're given a script on right before an audition 
and they say, would you like half an hour to go and learn the script or do you want to go in there and do it now? Even though you've just been given the script, you always say, I'm going to do it now. In their mind, they go, well, he did a great job and he just got the script. So even if you make little mistakes, well, he just got the script and you get to hold the script. <laughs> you know, He can be forgiven for this. Yeah, but if you go and take half an hour and make them wait half an hour and you come back in and stumble over lines and you haven't learned it and you haven't done your job and all, or you're looking at the script, they go, God, we gave this guy half an hour with the lines and he's still mucking it up. So you always just say, yes, the first thing, I will go in and we'll do this right now and I'll press the hell out of you. I've been trained to do that. So they say, well, you've got an aerosol can on you. Do you want to go and take you know, a couple of minutes to learn what the product is and come up with some ideas? And I go, nah, I'm sweet. And then just start walking to the stage. And as I'm walking, I start reading the back of the aerosol can to try and get some <laughs> ideas. And I turn it over and realize it's not spray paint. Because I've already got all these ideas, all these things you can do with spray paint and you know how I can sell that and stuff. It's spray glue. I've never heard of spray glue, right? So I get up and I, I get up on the stage and I write, you know, lights are on, cameras barrel at you. You got to look down the camera lens, which is really hard. That was another thing I had to focus on because as an actor, I'm supposed to pretend it's not there. So I'm looking straight down the lens, uh, barreling the camera, as we call it. <clears throat> and I just start talking about selling glue. You know, I do this thing, I'll put on the American accent so you get the feeling of a presenter, but I didn't do it at the time. I basically went, are you sick of having moments in life where you've gone and bought super glue and then found that it's dried up after its first use? Do you have to buy super glue every time you need it? Well, not anymore because now we've got aerosol can glue. <laughs> not only is this not going to spray everywhere and cover your fingers and become that messy, sticky, horrible thing we hate dealing with, now you can just give one light spray and that's all you need, and it's stuck in perfect. <laughs> and I did that for like, I did it for five minutes. Did you actually stick a pillow to the wall? It said something like, it works on fabrics on the back. Fabric and so I was pillow. like, you could, yeah, fabric pillow. I was like, you could spray it on the wall and stick a cushion and it would stick <laughs> on the wall. And then you could go to sleep standing up. Like, it's just nonsense that I've just talked about. <laughs> five minutes is a long time. Five minutes is a really long time. N needless to say, I got the job and lost the beard. And then I had this long hair with no beard, and then I trimmed it all. I just went like full, full presenter guy look. I was like, oh, no, I'm just going to do this. And I did that for a year, selling, uh, selling products on TV. And I'll tell you, it was a lot of fun. I did it with great people like Mike Pudu, who's, uh, who's yeah. been on radio for like more than 20 years now that he's back. He's a big wig on radio, man. Oh, he's he's been around forever. Great guy. And he's also, he's a jack of many trades as well. True. So, so he was doing that, and I said, you know, like, where does this go in New Zealand? And he goes, mate, it goes everywhere in the world if you can do a presenting stuff and, and learn the tricks and ins and outs. And I was like, this is, what a cool guy. That's a great piece of advice to give to someone young too. It sort of opens up the floodgates of you. Or yeah. That's a poor it, analogy, but it, you know what I'm saying. It says, you know, like, never take anything you're doing is nothing because you are gaining skills in everything you do everything leads to something yeah you will find ways to use this in later life i mean yeah real smart cookie mike um real cool cat that whole thing went bankrupt at some point so i, I was out after a year because you weren't selling enough glue uh i think it was more the kind of business techniques that were employed by the company because the new zealand market is identical to the australian market at oh, least to wow. the rest of the world that's what they think that's because right? in korea shopping channels are massive so they thought this will sell this might sell well in western cultures which it does already quite well in america best way is new zealand is the guinea pig the testing ground we'll go there if it works there it will work in australia the problem is we are not the same countries and it doesn't work the same way and we weren't selling to New Zealanders the way we wanted to. We wanted to kind of be a bit more chill and not like 
in your face by this. And if you call in the next five minutes, you'll get not only one, but two. <laughs> like, we don't really tune into that stuff as much. We need people to laugh and have a good time on TV and make jokes so that we feel that we're a part of this little community. And then what they're telling us feels more real, you know, and that's, that's what we wanted to do. Anyway, that didn't work. They didn't want to do that. They wanted to run their idea, which, you know, was fair enough, it was their idea from the start. It wasn't selling well in New Zealand. So they just went to Australia anyway, and that was their downfall. Overconfidence and under-delivery. Exactly, it just didn't, didn't work. So uh, that, that ended that role, and I went back to doing all these Plan B jobs. In fact, it was quite hard getting jobs because people would see my CV and see that I was like some diva presenter type guy <laughs> and they're like oh, i don't know you really want to tell people how to turn on and off their modem i feel like you might be a bit that must have been too up yourself you know because <laughs> you must have felt like i've been doing these jobs as a side thing for a fair while you know i've finally cracked into one that i can do full time i love doing it yeah it's fun and then to have that rug essentially pulled out from under you, that must have been a little bit heartbreaking. How'd you feel about it? Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it wasn't great that that kind of went that way. But to be honest, they did ask me to come back for a bit as they were in the death throes. But then they wanted to pay me like $16 an hour or something ridiculous. Get out of here. And I'm like, no. No you, thanks, you don't, guys. You don't get me back and then like half my pay or something. Like that just won't happen. There was a moment where I got to be the one who said, no, I'm not coming back, which gives you a bit more power in it. But ideally, yes, you want it to be a stepping stone and keep going up. But that's just, we're in a very small country and it's just not always the jobs are there, you know, and I, I got nothing out of that. So uh, aside from all these skills and great times. So, so to cut to the chase, from there to here. Uh, from there to there. Well, so I went back into all these plan B jobs and then eventually, I mean, I, you know, go to the pub a fair bit and people would say. You're you know, drunk. <laughs> well, of course I am a bit the pub. <laughs> no, they'd say things like, gosh, you got a really great voice. You should be in radio. And then I got into the habit of saying, well, if you were the guy that hired the guy, I would be. <laughs> you know, and I, I'd, and I'd want to say that once or twice, and then I'd said it five or seven times. And then I was just like, I need to rub shoulders with the right people. Like, and they're not at the pub. So I thought to myself, why not upskill and put a laminated piece of paper behind me and have a diploma or whatever and go get some skills so that I can, can start off in an industry. I've always thought that radio doesn't go obsolete like other things. Agreed. It kind of avoids... It's a constant, man. Well, it's a necessity. More, the more that I'm here now, the more I realise how much of a necessity it is. You know, Christchurch earthquakes, people were listening to the radio. Bloody mosque shootings. Um, yeah, people are listening for their updates right. on the radio. That's right. They, they had it tuned in all day Dude, just to keep getting updates. COVID even. Yeah, you know, if that's you're not right. near a TV, you, you you'll hear the main bulk of it after lunch on the radio. Yeah, you know? and I mean, there's there's something very personal about radio as well. So, I didn't necessarily get into radio because I thought I would be a, a DJ. Like, I don't know if I'm very good at that yet. I mean, I imagine I'm kind of all right, but there are great DJs out there that I look up to. Who oh, I think just do the job fantastically. The goat, Roger Farrelly. Ah, the goat. Yes, he's, he's a goat, mate. Look at him. He looks like, nah, he doesn't even look like a goat. He is a, a legend in the, the, the industry, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he's right next to Bryce Casey, mate. Uh, so, and and Andrew, Andrew Mulligan, he's also a legend in the yeah. industry. So, I mean, that was the kind of thing was that I thought that it was a, it was a stable choice. And also, I think radio teaches you all the stuff. In our last podcast, or our last episode, was that... You know, you get all these other skills, the editing skills, being able to understand audio editing and production sides of things, creating content and then making content and then delivering content, you know, all of these kinds of things, I reckon would just link to multiple different areas of life. Maybe I want to get into voice work at some point. Well, I can do it myself. Maybe I want to continue the acting thing, but now I understand it a little better from understanding a voice perspective or an audio perspective, what needs to be heard, what needs to come back and forth. Doing our own shows on the radio was a very interesting kind of enlightening form of 
what is needed on the radio? How do people respond and how do they take it? Which was different to how I was presenting. But I think just the accumulation of skills was what was important to me. And then I have all these branches of possibilities to be a creative, basically. And that, that's what brought me here. I was also so sick of being under inept managers yep. who were basically hired into ineptitude. And as you get older, these people get younger and get more inept, it seems. And you feel like you can do their job better and you just eventually go, you know what, I, I'm stuck here because I don't have a qualification. Which, by the way, I've always been against the idea that we judge people off of qualifications. It is absolutely ridiculous. I can tell you coming from that background, because I have a Bachelor of Commerce degree, major in accounting, it is a shambles. It's an absolute shambles. It, do, it, doesn't, it doesn't quite fit. To me, when you get a diploma, right, we're going to get this diploma. We have learned all these skills in the meantime. But we know that when we get out into the real world, we will be learning everything around us because we won't actually be fitting into that world properly yet. We fit into a student world. We have proven through our laminated piece of paper that we can study, that we can focus on a, a topic and work our way through it to create a completed project. And I that's, think that's what I think my laminated piece of paper is telling people. The difference between, uh, say, for instance, the Bachelor of Commerce degree and our diploma in radio broadcasting, mm -hmm. I think that's what it's called, the difference is practicality. Um, in getting a academia-type degree, yeah. That is always based on how good are you at memory on the day. You gain, you know, the yeah. game of memory. That's what it's based on. It's like a school test. It's always like a school test. It's oh, an like essay. sitting it's on a, an essay. Yeah, how, yeah. How good are you at this on the day? Depending on what you read in the For book. An exam. Yeah. Whereas this, this is a learning skills and then building upon the skills uh, right up into a point where you have, and especially with these, because we're able to save the files and we're able to go back and look. That's right. You have an entire breadcrumb trail of your progress. And you can say, now I was here, now I'm here. Yeah. And, and that's not something you have with the degree, with those academic top degrees. That's very interesting too, because it does, you know, like um, doing exams or something at the end of the year. I didn't really, at school, I didn't do really any homework. I was just awful for doing work at home. That was that not, makes you know, us, if you want mate. me to do stuff at school, I'll do it at school. But if you send me home, I want to do other stuff. Dude, I'm playing PlayStation. I'm watching Dragon Ball yeah. Z. And then I'm I'd, 10 years old. I'd turn up to these exams with like, poor scores throughout the year because they, they basically weighted all on, uh, this is back in school C, right? So this is, uh, you know, school certificate. And so they weighed all of these homework duties up and then we'd gotten to the point where we go to the exam and that's a pretty big chunk of the, the mark of the year. But I was already losing because I hadn't done all this homework. And then I'd turn up to the exam, didn't study for it, just was paying attention in class and smash them. Just knock them out and get good points and go home. And then I'd had people who were studying all night all night long to go and sit their exam and then get about the same mark that I got in my exam. But I tell you what, you can't go back and ask them the answer to the question now and they know it. And also, you're, just, you're cramming info into your head for two days to appease the exam gods. That's exactly it. And then it. you forget all about it three That's days later. That's such a good way of putting it, man. Yeah. yeah. And I just don't, I don't think that equates enough to uh, real life skills or, or your competency in a role. And I, that's why I keep having all these inept managers in my life <laughs> who have somehow found their way into a position. They start the job as the manager. I mean, that even in itself, they don't know the team and now they're telling everyone what to do and they don't know how to do that. Well. That's right. And they haven't worked their way up. Generally, they've come from like a university or something. They've just got the job because they did well in management papers. And don't get me wrong, uh, Learning management skills is a brilliant thing, and I think every manager should do a couple of papers because it really oh, gets, yeah, you, yeah. gets you in tune with... Tips and tricks. Yeah, what um, your team wants. The biggest thing is how to motivate people. And, well, because the 
the biggest cause of people quitting jobs is their direct manager above them. That's exactly right. Okay, so if the, if that manager has taken, say, six months out of his life or something, or his or her, sorry, out of their life to go away and learn about, okay, this is motivation and how to get the best out of your staff without having them feel like you've just exploited them. You get them on your side. You they become accrued. a team, yeah. You, that's exactly it. Mate. Lead from the front. Yes, 100%. <laughs> it's, not, it's not as hard as some of these people make it seem. That's right. And one of the other things that I notice in a lot of these roles as well is that there will be your manager's manager never asks you how your manager is doing. And you are the person who knows. That's very true. Yeah, they just, they look solely they look down which yeah, they is, look at numbers they ask they ask the manager how are you doing yeah. i'm doing great well that's a tick from me on your bob you know and then we're all sitting there suffering away yeah and, you know treating having to come in because really day. bob's got a poor marriage and he takes his anger out that his, his, <laughs> his partner has given them he takes out any staff and minions he's just a he makes dick moves all day there's a weird thing where like managers love to go like all right well you're under me i i like calling people minions you're my minions now and you go can we vote against this? Like, I don't, I'm not your minion. Bob, I will <laughs> like, throw you out the window if you call me a minion yeah. again. It could be that or slaves, and you're like, oh, jeez. I don't know if you're setting the right atmosphere here. Again, uh, Bob, <laughs> you and the window are going to meet real quick. Yeah, this needs to be, you know, this, we're supposed to be a team. I don't know what's going on. Stop stop cracking a whip from back there. Get up front and crack your whip. Bob, I don't know. <laughs> Bob that hurts. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it know. is, honestly. It is. It's something that... A lot of us, you'll be listening in on this, knowing that you've had these jobs. Someone, yeah, anyone and if you listening, are one of those know. managers who man- who's above the other manager, ask the people at the bottom how the manager's doing. It is not that hard, and you will be better at your job for doing it. Yeah, exactly. If you are a bigwig in a business and you want to know the honest performance of the place, ask your floor staff. For God's sake, ask yeah. your floor staff. Don't ask the manager. Oh, how is how are they doing? Oh, they're fine because. He's going to give you, or she, sorry, I, I just by default say he, I don't mean to. Well, they ask the manager how you're doing. That's so exactly well, it. you don't ask me how I'm doing. That's, and, and of course, if I'll you are not you doing well, <laughs> if you're not doing well, that's a re- poor reflection on the immediate manager above you. Well, that's at least how they view it. Yeah. Because he or she should be theoretically in charge of you. So if, if you're not doing well, sales are down, whatever, it reflects badly on them. And if that manager, just directly above you, is like a crappy manager the manager above him or her looks bad and it's all just this this rubbish of i don't want to look bad right up so there's this bullshit from the bottom to the top that's right and so the big wig needs to come down and say listen here bob piss off i want to talk to the staff themselves you're not welcome here go a, a lot more of the upper echelon need to realize that productivity comes from people i mean they know productivity is what you want because that's where the, the numbers come out yeah but You've got to create productivity by creating a place that people want to be productive at. Absolutely. And it doesn't seem like that's a hard thing to grasp, but apparently it is. <laughs> Question for you. Regarding <laughs> your journey to this point, 10 years, you're going to look back on this. We'll both look back on this. Yeah, yeah. What, what's something you want to pass on to your 10-year self? What do you I've, want to I've tell actually been him? asked this recently in another podcast, weirdly enough. The same answer that I gave then, actually, it took me ages to answer because it's a really hard question. Because also, normally, you want to be the older version of yourself telling the younger version of yourself something. You know, because you've learned all of this stuff heading into the future that you either want to give warnings or better advice or lotto ticket numbers or, you know, (laughs) things like that. So asking the younger version to tell your 10-year-older version something 
It's a very hard question. It, well, it flips it on its head, doesn't it? But it, I think it gives interesting perspective and perhaps insight. Mm. Yeah. So the same answer I so had. So what are you going to tell 46-year-old Leo? Holy moly, no, he'd be 47. <laughs> um, and I would say you still don't know any better, so keep listening. <laughs> Two ears, one mouth. Because I reckon in 10 you, years. You're like, yeah, but 24 teeth. Oh, I'm going to start tuning people out easy in 10 years. I'm just going to be like, no, I know better than that. Don't you tell, I have been through it, mate. (laughs) Back in my day. Yeah, I think it's going to be to my detriment. So I need to be able to say to myself, you still don't know better. And to be honest, you never will. So (laughs) keep your ears open and pay attention to the people around you. A lot of good advice is out there, (laughs) you know. That's what I'd say to myself. I'd also bloody well say that to myself right now because I'm still ch- I'm starting to tune people out when they say yo at the start of sentences. You know, like, yo, have you seen the da-da-da? Yo, I did. It was so cool. Yo, yo. <laughs> oh, my God. I like yo-yos. Yeah, Remember pro-yos? I got, I got yo bros, and that's fine. Every now and again, people, just not all the time. Uh, we'll have more of these little podcasty majigs like a pee in a pod later on. Uh, obviously, if you, if you got time, we got some other ones if you haven't heard them before. Go back and listen to them. Next week, another accent? Maybe. I don't know. Kind of like this one.